the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blockshub in Copenhagen, Denmark. This is Global Denmark. Uh, I came over for three months uh, and then was offered the opportunity to do a, a PhD within robotics and automation. Uh, and I was like a kid in a candy shop. I was basically working in a, co- in a company that had kind of your your James Bond lab for you know, robotics and, and it was with robotics and vision systems. In this episode, you're going to meet like Nigel Edmondson. Chat with Nigel for just a minute and suddenly you too are a kid in a candy shop. The way he talks about what robots and automation mean for the future, get the inner machinations of the mind turning, kind of like the intricate assembly lines from a Tim Burton movie. But Nigel isn't just talking about the kind of tech that you might only find in the Batcave. Nigel is hands-on, a pragmatist, and that suits him well in his role as Managing Director for MADE, an acronym for the Manufacturing Academy of Denmark. Since 2014, MADE has been working on what initially seemed preposterous, bringing manufacturing back to Denmark. When I first heard the story, we want to bring manufacturing back to Denmark and strengthen manufacturing, I thought, ah, isn't that game over? Because uh, I thought, you know, we, we, I was still plugged into we're moving stuff out. When I was at Mask, I spent a lot of my time moving uh, a lot of the work to global service centers in India and in uh, in China and in uh, uh, Manila. Uh, and then suddenly there's this full stand, you know, completely 360 U-turn. Hey, we want to bring it back and strengthen manufacturing in Denmark. And I, I talked with the, guy, with, the, with the different companies and, the, and the, the, the board of directors around this, and they convinced me that, that they actually believe in this. Okay, so you're thinking manufacturing? That's not very sexy. Well, dive into the nuts and bolts of it, and even if it doesn't get your heart racing, it will help bind a lot of loose ends in your mind. Economic prosperity, innovation, digitalization, and battling climate change are just a few of the challenges where rethinking manufacturing can really make a difference. And so diving in is exactly what we're going to do over the next 40 minutes or so, as Nigel explains what the term made in Denmark might mean in the future and why manufacturing matters so much. Well, manufacturing is basically one of the sort of enablers of an economy. So it's one of your base industries that creates the jobs, which creates money for people to use on the services. You know, a factory, where I think the, the last time I looked at the numbers, they were saying that a typical factory will be you know, one job in the factory will lead to five other jobs locally. And that could be electricians. It could be the canteen ladies. It could be your local suppliers. You, know, you have all this supporting infrastructure that lives off that manufacturing and the cash that's generated there indirectly, a- along with all of the taxes and stuff. So you get out of manufacturing. So um, that's one element of it, uh, you could say, is the direct impact. The indirect impact is you lose that knowledge, you lose the innovation, the craftsmanship, the knowledge that actually creates new companies moves out. Because often you see things within a factory, there's a high knowledge within a factory to actually make those components. And if you move that out, you lose that uh, ability within mm-hmm. your country to create new products and be, be you know, more innovative. That seems kind of counter, though, to everything that's happened within globalization within the last 25, 30 years. Did we make a mistake in that? Is globalization a big mistake or? I don't think globalization is a mistake, Hmm. but you need to understand what you're moving. So if you have a... um, 
a, a new a new not mature manufacturing process you're really being on the edge of innovation or it's a core strategic competence it's actually quite dangerous to move it out if we take sort of the us uh, that's a really good example you see a lot of the politics now where there's a focus on uh, trade barriers and trying to bring manufacturing back that's because if you wanted to do chip production in the us or go into the production of solar cells or, or other other to products where it's high knowledge, you, you don't actually have that capability left in the country because it's been moved out to China, it's been moved out to Korea, back friend, and that started back in the 70s. And then to rebuild that capability is really difficult. And that's both uh, bad for your, your, your economy because it generates jobs locally. It's also quite, quite risky if you're dependent on those technologies for your military or your, your you know, core strategic areas. So there's been a realisation that just moving everything out just because of cost is actually an expensive way to do it in the long term because of some really, really big issues you generate for your country by, by basically moving out of manufacturing. So a knowledge-based society like Denmark actually benefits from a strong manufacturing industry yeah. and creating, actually playing into that yeah. knowledge and innovation. And, and the, the dilemma in all of this is that Denmark is probably one of the most expensive nations to have manufacturing because of the high labor costs. And, and that's, that's where it all gets exciting because then you say, well, how do we solve that? Well, you do that through driving automization, driving flexible automization, being at the edge of advanced manufacturing. Um, and then you see these creative solutions coming out of that, like the creation of the robotics uh, hub in uh, in Unza or the big investments in uh, 3D printing. And I know these new technologies that come out of that are driven by the need to get your costs down and maintain productivity and be competitive. So it's a big driver of the, the sort of manufacturing uh, economy, but also of, of the wider innovation and creation of new companies. So how did this... Academy for Manufacturing come about? Who's behind this initiative? Yeah, well, it's actually industry because back in um, yeah the early 2000s, what happened in Denmark, and I was part of that, we were basically closing the Danish factories and moving them to China, to uh, Eastern Europe, because there was this drive about reducing cost. Yeah, we needed to make uh, manufacturing cheap. And then there was also a vision at the time, uh, everyone was talking about being a, a service uh, you know, nation. We, we were going to live on service. We didn't need to make stuff anymore. And what happened was that that started a really fast negative spiral. The suppliers were going uh, you know, out of business because your local supplier that was supplying the bigger companies lost their customer. Um, you know, when the kids were having their conversation in the evening with mum and dad uh, about where they want to work, uh, what they should train, uh, should they be an engineer? The feedback was, don't go into engineering. They're closing the factories. There's no future in it. And the universities were struggling. They didn't get the next generation of engineers. We didn't get the next generation of technicians. So what actually happened was industry realized that, well, if we want to keep our headquarters here and uh, keep that close to manufacturing where the knowledge is being generated, we need to do something about it. Because the key is manufacturing needs to be close to your design if you want to keep competitive because it's a big driver of innovation. Mm -hmm. So is it realistic that we can have manufacturing in Denmark? that we can bring factories back to Denmark? Our, our approach isn't to say, well, we need to bring factories back to Denmark. Our approach is to say the factories that we've got and the new businesses that we've got, we need to strengthen those. Some of the manufacturing that's moved out will always be moved out. You need to be close to market. 
Uh, and this is the funny thing with, with globalization right now is with the COVID-19 crisis, et cetera. You've seen that, that manufacturing has been challenged by these global supply chains where they've, you know, we, we've had a lot of stuff produced in China and then we've shipped it back and then suddenly the Chinese supply chain's been disrupted. And there's a realization that, well, maybe having uh, you know, your production closer or more regional is a way ahead. But if you're going to do that, you need to have competitive manufacturing. And that's, again, where the, the sort of automation comes in. What we're seeing is Danish companies are competing where there's a need for high knowledge, where you can be close to your market. Um, and that high knowledge is basically you know, where you need the advanced manufacturing. Maturer processes where you can, you know, you, maybe your old, uh, old manufacturing techniques that are often easier to ship out than the new stuff where you're running it in, you're testing it, you're mm. being very innovative, you need high knowledge. That stuff we definitely can keep within Denmark because we've got that culture, we've got that knowledge to do it. And then the other types of processes, that'll be driven very much based on you know, where, where is the logistics costs are best. So this isn't an either or? Definitely not. The, the companies we work with have uh, global organizations. Uh, they, they want some manufacturing base within Denmark because it drives their competitiveness. It enables them to run in new products and enables them to be close to the, the European market. But they also have locations globally that they also support. Nigel told us that through Maid's most recent work with digital technologies like 3D printing, flexible robots, and virtual reality, its members expect to reap over a half billion kroner in returns. So, in the next part of our discussion, we ask him to explain how Maid works, the secret to this success, and what makes Denmark so special when it comes to manufacturing. Robotics used to be a very much German driven car industry type mm. of, mm-hmm. of, of area. And then the whole in, in invention and creation of these collaborative robots and this this way of working together with automation in, in lower volumes is where Denmark's got the strengths. So what we're seeing is Denmark applying automation in smaller companies, low volume production, where you need flexibility, where traditionally automation just wasn't economical to do. Uh, we're seeing also niches within uh, additive manufacturing, you know, 3D printing within the tooling industry, where there's a whole new sort of range of startups doing these these tools for that are printed with 3D printing technologies um, that enable them to basically uh, use mass production technology to low volume production. So, so when you ask me what what debt what Denmark is is good at, it's very much applying advanced manufacturing to low volume production and servicing these niche industries. Um, I think the other area that I see is this ability to share knowledge, work together, solve problems as a, as a nation and as different companies. Yeah, and that goes back to the whole in, high trust and to be able to sum about it in collaboration. Yeah, and the education. It, it's very much driven. This is my perspective. I come, I come from the UK. Yeah. I've worked both in China. I've worked with the, the US. I've worked with uh, Germany as well and companies there. What I see is very much a, uh, we come, of, if you take the sort of Anglo-Saxon approach, it's often uh, an individualistic culture where we compete against each other, even at school. Whereas in Denmark, even from, from the, you know, the, the kindergarten, you're working in, in teams to solve stuff. So you, all the way through the school, you're doing group exams uh, where, and they fill a great deal of the curriculum. And by doing group exams, you're training the kids uh, at a school age to do what you need to do in business, which is to collaborate, which is to work together, share ideas, be open and trust each other. Um, and, and that's quite unique. And you see in, in, uh, that's, that's where the innovation comes and you have this dynamic. 
Uh, and that's really kind of a, a special thing in Denmark. I agree. So if I understand right, what MADE is, is doing is facilitating that collaboration between companies, also getting um, researchers and potentially even enablers, other enablers uh, around industry together. Yeah, I mean, if you want to summarize it and use the classical three points, I mean, to have a a competitive advanced manufacturing ecosystem, or as we call it, like an industrial commons is one of the terms that is used, you need basically three things. You need to have um, very, very strong uh, applied research. So the newest technology, the newest ideas are being implemented and given to industry, uh, SMEs and larger companies. You need to have a very strong innovation uh, system so that knowledge is being spread out. You know, different companies and universities are, are you know, bouncing ideas backwards and forwards of how to apply the, the you know, this new knowledge. Um, and then you also need a strong educational drive so that the next generation of engineers and the existing engineers within the schools and the technicians within the schools get access and are trained up on that. And if you can tick the, the sort of three boxes there, you can begin to build this really strong ecosystem around manufacturing. It's actually the same strategy that's being applied in, in many company, uh, countries countries around the world, both within Europe and also within the US, where there's been some pretty big drives on this. Uh, and it's those three things you need to have in place. And we have those three cores within uh, within MADE. So we do applied research, we do innovation, and we also do education, where we work with the educational system to try and get this knowledge out to you know, anybody that, that, that wants it. Is this way of thinking, you mentioned that it's you're, we're seeing it in other places in Europe and, and the United States, um, but is there anything unique about this? Made, made as a, an idea isn't unique. You'll find uh, many nations across Europe are, are getting into this. Some of them have come after we started and some of them were before. Organisation of, of these different in, initiatives, they're, they're different. So within within Europe, there's a, a very big platform where are going across com, uh, different countries. And you'll also find a, a new initiative about Made in Europe, same name as us. You'll see a Made in Italy. Um, in the UK, there's also initiatives over there where, where they call these catapult centres that they've created, where basically the government is going together with industry to finance the investment in a, in the manufacturing uh, infrastructure and ecosystem. So yes, it's it's there in many different companies uh, countries. What's unique in the Danish approach to doing it is this willing to be open and work together. So for example, we do these big platforms where we 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 gather. Uh, 50 different companies, uh, large companies, small companies, is about 50-50 split, uh, where they all co-invest. They all work together on joint research projects where they develop joint um, prototypes of robots, robotic cells or uh, big data or, or virtual reality uh, models where they try and, and solve problems from, from their own production. And they have one IP agreement. And that is quite unique. I mean, you, you, you think, well, how the heck do you do one IP agreement? If you tried to do that in the US or in the UK or in Germany, the, the lawyers would be saying, no way, we can't mm-hmm. do that. And it's because it's built on trust. So when we, we sit at, around a table and we're working to solve the problem, the companies are actually opening up a great deal. They're sharing a lot of information with each other and they're trusting in each other because they can see that the investment they get out of that is much bigger than the the individual problem they're working at because they often give each other additional ideas and additional access and help each other solve the problems because they think very much that you need to invest in the ecosystem. 
It sounds kind of utopian, though. I mean, who are there ever challenges about, hey, who owns this technology? Who owns this idea? Mm. Where's the IP and all this? Where's the competitive advantage for companies? Yeah, yeah. What we've found is that the the companies, when they they take the, if we we get into the technical bits, the the, the creator of the IP owns the IP. And because it's typically a university employee who is a PhD or a postdoc who creates that knowledge, they basically say, well, we will sell it to the companies or make some form of agreement with the companies um, so that, that they can apply in their different industries. When we have two competitors together, that's when we often have to say, well, we, we can't do it. They're going to have to have a, a separation. So they'll work in different work streams, as we call them, where they're focusing on different topics. That works. It's, it's challenging when they come together. And that's why I think we've got the little advantage in Denmark is we don't have a sort of a, a, a monolithic industry where it's all automotive or it's all defense. Uh, we have many, many, many small uh, and medium-sized companies working many different niches from uh, you know, Lego working with with toys to uh, you know Brunfoss who do pumps to Vestas that do windmills to Nova Nordisk who do you know insulin and then they can actually get, you know sit around the table without any worry that the other's going to run with their idea and also because Denmark's such a small country you don't tread on too many toes because you're going to meet those people later so that there is a kind of self regulation mm. in all of this so it's both the tribalism and and the diversification of industry yeah. in Denmark that yeah. really also makes this possible yeah. in addition to the, the there's a culture of trust. And, and that culture of trust is, I think, uh, very deep embedded within the Danish society. And, and that's very much what we leverage within this. So there's a willingness to do this because there's a big driver to work together. Because all of the companies have realized if you want to do advanced manufacturing, we are only, what, just under 6 million people within Denmark. We're competing against China. We're competing against US. We're competing against companies in Europe. Yeah, if we want to keep that competitive edge, we're going to have to work together. I'm thinking that maybe the best way to understand what you're doing is to look at some of the concrete projects that you're working on mm. to, because there is some pretty amazing stuff going on within yeah. manufacturing. Let's take a little break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll get into the sort of hands-on, real tangible examples of what MAID's doing. Mm-hmm. Studying for an executive MBA at Henley Business School in Denmark is an intense and rewarding experience. If you want to achieve the best possible outcomes in business and in life, Henley can give you the skills and knowledge you need through the Henley MBA. For more information, visit henley.dk. In a completely hands-on way, can you give us a case or maybe two that really demonstrate what MADE does? Yeah. If we take, for example, uh, the area I talked about before, um, about robotics, uh, where we're working with automation and stuff, you've got, um, you know, the, the robot alone isn't enough. You have to have lots of other equipment around the robot, vision systems, parts, feeders, and, and design of these cells to make it all work. Um, that technology has typically been for large volume production where there's a good business case because the equipment's expensive and it's, it's not flexible, it's actually dedicated to produce one part. Right, you think of these big robot arms in yeah. an automobile yeah. factory yeah. that just yeah. swing around. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and those robots, typically when they're implemented, they, they only do one thing for their entire life, which is produce that particular car model or maybe two car models. They don't do radically different products and they don't get moved around in the factory a great deal. Once they're put in, they do the same thing. What we, uh, we've done, we've worked with... Uh, and we, we still are now working with a, a project where we have uh, a little Danish uh, SME 
uh, company called uh, Dankel, uh, and they they work uh, with um, electronic uh, assembly, where they they're basically producing very very small volumes. We're talking you know maybe five circuits a, a day that will be made with this you know, manually today, and to to maintain their productivity, they're looking well how how can we automate some of this? Maybe go semi automatic, so that basically we've built uh, a very flexible uh, approach to doing automation where you plug different uh, components of the cell together, a bit like a Lego set, uh, to automate very low volumes. And this is using robotics and uh, 3D printing to make feeders and grippers and fixtures that actually supply and hold the parts together. And then we're using, um, uh, they call them digital twins, which is basically, a, if you imagine a digital model, it's a bit like a computer game, but you've got a, a computer model of the cell, which is then used to program the cells very, very quickly uh, and uh, optimize the cells using uh, artificial intelligence, you can actually then start using this kind of type of automization for very, very low volumes. So you can produce many different types of products on the same cell and quickly and at a low cost, you know, auto, you know, reprogram them and retool them to do different stuff. And that means suddenly an SME can start automating their production and get that productivity up. Yeah, I can see how that's a really huge win, right? You're you're optimizing the process, you're reducing costs, and you're exactly. generating this new innovation to stri- create strategic operations yeah. going forward. Yeah. So that that that's kind of like the on the automation end, uh, and that's working with SMEs. And then we have the big players in there too. You've got Lego Group, you've got Danfoss, uh, Grundfos are interested, and they're all following that project because they're saying, well, we may be a big company, but hey, in our factories, we've also got small volume production. We also need to automate. Um, another example is very much looking at the whole development of uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, where there's, there's still a lot of hype about it, but that, that technology is maturing really, really quickly. Mm. Um, and we've got a, a number of projects where we've basically built um, s- systems using uh, augmented reality, where you, pe- you t- take a pair of glasses on, or maybe there's a pro- projector in the ceiling that projects the images down on the, the workbench. And these are then used to give instructions to a new employee, um, which basically says, you know, you need to pick this part up now and assemble it in this position here. And it'll also have a, a check function. No, in there so it's a part of the forget. onboarding. So you can use it to train your new operators. You can also use it in the positions where you need to somehow certify that you've actually put the components in there. So um, in industries like um, uh, you know, the aeronautical or pharmaceutical industry, there's actually really, really sharp requirements that you need to document you've put that screw in. Because if you forget to put that screw in, maybe the, the jet engine's not going to work. Um, and... Uh, we have a number of models where we've done this in SMEs and also within some of the larger companies where we've built these cells to demonstrate that technology and what it can be done uh, used for. So that's very much to help you know, training. It's also quite cool because then you, you don't actually need to have a, uh, an employee that even understands the language because you could do this graphically. So if you have a you know an employee coming from another country that's just starting in Denmark and is learning the language, you can still integrate them into industry by actually helping them by communicating in different ways. Now, now how do you just kind of a little pivot you have this stable of you said 200 organizations both big companies like lego and sm Mm. smes how do you recruit your kind of uh your stable of researchers are these specifically recruited 
to be part of the MAID uh, infrastructure, or how does that happen yeah. in terms of the academic side yeah. of it? Well, MAID's built up as what they call a, a public-private partnership. Yeah. So um, th- within the, 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 the board, we have the, the five key uh, manufacturing universities within Denmark. Um, and they based, the, the, at that level, we're working with the, the deacons and the rectors. So it's, it's anchored at the very top. And then they point down in their organization at the researcher uh, or the senior researcher and the team that we need to bring in to solve the challenge the industry point on. So everything we do is industry driven. So we don't do anything if industry says we don't need that. So industry says we have a challenge here. We then reach out to the universities and they say, well, we think you can address that challenge using this type of research, this type of innovation. And then we put a team together that go in and solve that problem. So it's very much problem driven research mm. and innovation. And the universities are on board from the start to the finish. And they're basically the, the guys who, who go in and, and help solve these issues. And these are both international and Danish researchers, right? Even, yeah, though, it's, even yeah. though it's a Danish-centric. Yeah. We have uh, at any one time about 60% of the researchers, they are international. 60%. 60%. Yeah. Uh, that was the last check we made. And what we can see is that when we relaunch these new platforms, we simply don't have that, that uh, knowledge base uh, within Denmark. So we bring in many international students. Uh, and the cool thing is that about 80% of those guys gets hired directly in the companies when they're finished. So even in a national uh, campaign, if we can call that to, for this academy, uh, the ability to attract uh global talent for this infrastructure is still key? It, well, that's one of the goals of the, the industrial partners. It's a talent pipeline. So you work with these you, these candidates, you, you they get to know the company, you get to know the candidate, you develop the knowledge, and then when they get hired at the end of the day, they can actually help implement and stabilize that knowledge within the within the companies. And all of these candidates as well throughout their PhD, they, they actually move to uh, international universities for six months and also have a, a session out there. So some of the guys They'll end up in uh, MIT or you know, Stanford or Cambridge to do some of their research there before they come back and continue working on the, the industrial problem in Denmark. And that's, that's our way of plugging in and bringing knowledge to Denmark, which yep. is absolutely key. The Viking ships yeah. setting sail. Yeah. Yep. Do you have a wow story? Is there something that you, a story you love to tell at dinner parties or, hey, this is something maids done. You've existed since 2014. Um is there a, a story you're most proud of or, or one you think has a lot of wow factor? Oh, um, I think there's many different stories. If you, I think the whole idea of actually being able to bring you know, 50 companies together, five universities, three of these RTOs, these technology developments, to work on so many different projects. We've, we've got, uh, within our, our time that we've been running, we, we're well over uh, 200 different projects to, to spot the one you know, that is changing all the time. I think I think one of the, if we look, look at one of the projects where you think, wow, that made a huge, you know, impact. So there's one researcher, he saved like uh, over 40 million uh, Danish kroner with his research alone on the first pilot. Um, and that was one of these projects where, where on paper you think, oh, it's kind of, you know, you know hypothetical and, and, st- and stuff like that. But he went in and you actually worked with how you design products to be more modular. 
And it's you know, it's like kind of like this Lego effect. So can we make some standard building bricks that we can put together? And if you do that, you can then start using the same modules in many, many different projects, uh, uh, products, which means you reduce your cost. Uh, and, and by doing that, he was able to reduce cost and also introduce a massive flexibility so they could quickly create new products by putting these standard modules together. Uh, and that, that's one of the ones where you think, well, a wow effect, well, it was a huge bottom line impact of a researcher, uh, which really under, underlined this kind of, well, technical research has a massive impact and it's well worth investing in. Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life. Nigel, uh, one thing before we get to you and your own story um, is the whole thing about the future. And much of that very is very much focused right now on the green agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more sustainable production. Um and that kind of thing. How can MAID contribute there? Yeah. MAID's, MAID's starting this this journey around sustainable uh, production. Right now we have our, our, our current pr- platform, MAID Fast, where one of the, the, the key work streams is looking at how, how should we basically create sustainable manufacturing. So we've got many of the big players and a lot of SMEs working together again to try and solve this. And they're looking at uh, a number of challenges. So yeah, we, we have this sort of consumer uh, you know, society within the world. It's all it's driven the whole globalization. And what we're looking at is saying, well, we're used to basically making products, we sell them, and then they, they get thrown away at the end of life. So if we want to go to this, the whole circular economy idea, mm-hmm. the idea is to say, well, can we bring these products back? Can we reuse them? Can we remanufacture them? Uh, and that opens up a whole world of interesting questions like, well, how, you know, how, practically, how do we do it? How do we make money doing it? Yeah, how do we make money doing that? That's, that's the big one. Uh, because basically you then say, well, okay, we want to bring those products back. So you've got a washing machine or you've got a pump or you've got a, you know, a, a, an old Lego set, for example, or a, 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 an insulin pin or you know, what, you know, when you're finished with that, you're not going to throw it out. What, what are you going to do with it? Does the company then bring it back? So if you're going to bring it back, how do you establish logistics for products that have been sold all over the world? You don't really know where they are. You don't know what they've been used for, but they need to come back to the company. Yeah, because I always hear the why in circular economy. So yeah, it's a great triple so, win, so, so, and but the how is, how, how, do how the hell do, do you do it? So we're, 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 we're getting practical now. How do we do that? So right now we're doing pilots with many different companies to say, well, you know, what are the logistical challenges? What are the practicalities when you want to move a product from one country to another? Other. What are the, uh, the the legal restraints? For, is, you know, who owns that product? Because now it's scrap. So who pays for the transport to get it back? How do you collect it to get it back? Once you get it back, imagine you've got a big mountain of old products that have come in the factory. Denmark's one of the most expensive countries in the world to manufacture stuff. It means it's also going to be one of the most expensive countries in the world to start pulling products apart. And these products, they're not uniform. They're many different products that have been sold over many, many different years. So how do you then start you know, sorting through the product? Can we automate our way out of it? Automation is typically, again, high volume, medium volumes. We're suddenly dealing with units of one that we need to pull apart with high expensive labor. How do we do it? Once you pull those products apart, well, what do you do with the different parts? Can you reuse them? Can we sell them? Can we we get the same quality of part again? Uh, Can we melt it down? And, and, And then the big question is, well, where's the business case? 
So it's it's basically a whole different mentality you're going to have to look at here. And this is where digitalization and, and you know, sustainability go together, where digitalization is very much this sort of facilitation where you can basically maybe you know, get data from the products when they come back. They'll tell you what they've been used for. Digitalization may help us basically, you know, automate the processes as we're already working on in the previous example. How do we then uh, automate the robotics lines? How do we bring the parts you know, and pull them apart? Different materials. Could we use different types of plastics or metals to make the products? So there's many, many really exciting questions that need to be solved. And that's what we're working on. So when you say, well, what can they do? We're getting right in there, rolling the sleeves up, bringing the companies together. And we've just started the journey. What advice do you have um, for uh, somebody coming from England or the States or any foreigners coming to Denmark now that you've uh, gotten used to this country you call home? Yeah. Um, I, I think the starting point, and it's, it, it sounds a bit s- simple to say, is you, you have to get that language. And it's probably, again, one of the toughest things to do is the get Dench that Danish sport. language. Yeah. Um, I, at the t- I moved to Biangpo which is this tiny little town in, in Jutland uh, where the, the, the Grundfos headquarters is and where their, their main factories were in Denmark. And this is 23 years ago. The language abilities were really good at the guys on the shop floor and, and also in the office, but you, you were surrounded basically by Danish all of the time. And it's a very lonely place to be uh, because you can sit in an office with 100 people, but everybody's speaking obviously Danish. So you don't get that chit chat. It's very difficult to integrate. Um, so the, the, the key thing for me was to to try and get that language as, as quickly as possible. Um, and that took a long time. I'm not a language genie. It took me about 18 months to start getting there where I could actually have a, a conversation. And then at, at one point I was able to, to switch over and use more and more Danish. And I'm still learning. <laughs> you speak excellent Danish, but this idea that, you know, a lot of people who are coming to Denmark to work often hear, hey, you don't need to speak Danish mm. because everybody speaks English yeah. here. It's just not true. If you're going to be here on a long term and you want to understand the culture and you, you really want to get the, the local you know, friends and network, you've got to invest your time in that language. You've got to do it. And it's a great investment because you, you really understand the environment you're in and, and why, why do people think that the way they do and why do they act the way they do? You need to understand mm. that language. I think as a leader too, if you really want to have maximum impact uh, and create trust and expand your network, mm. that's really a great signal for uh I, 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 I don't think I could have been a successful leader in Denmark without having language because I've had uh, and still have Danish employees uh, as well as international employees. And you need to understand their, their, their background, their culture. You need to understand that if you want to be a good leader. Yeah. What can the world learn from Denmark? Oh, that's a good question. If you have a number one. I, I think, and it's a difficult one to copy, but if you, I mean, Denmark is is kind of like this this amazing place where it, you've got this very open, trusting culture, and and a real drive to work together and share knowledge. So yeah, you've got a bit of regionalization coming in there, but this this willingness to work together, share knowledge, and from a very early age, 
you know, you know, have educational systems that are, are designed to back that up. That drives that innovation we have in Denmark, that openness, that 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 debate that we have. That it really is a strength where you don't see this polarization across the you know the the discussions in the country. You'll often get many many different levels of that, um, and that's at the schools. It's within the education. It's also within the political system. I mean, I come from the UK where you have Labour and Conservative, and, and yeah, you've got Liberal Democrats in the middle. So that's three main parties. In Denmark, there is a whole you know, menu of different you know, uh, political parties, and they've got many different uh, opinions and views. And then through that sort of collaboration across the parties, we get actually a really democratic uh, you know, country where, where, where they solve problems, they work together, and we don't see this sort of swing from left to right. So I think if you, you could study some of the stuff that works in Denmark and say, well, how can we apply that? to ourselves because that drives everything. It, there's this open culture that we have, this trust, it's driving industry, it's driving education, and it drives the innovation that we have here. And what does Denmark need to learn from the world? Or what can Denmark learn from the world? Oh, now that is a really difficult question. <laughs> um, I, I think that the one reflection I have, and it's kind of maybe a counter to what I've just said, is that at the same time as this being an amazing place for collaboration across different areas, I, I sometimes really am surprised by um, the strength of the sort of regionalization within such a small country. And I think the learning is that, well, just take a trip to Shanghai or take a trip to Hamburg and just put Denmark in scale for a second. We are a tiny nation. We have to both you know, collaborate with different countries and we also have to work together. We always end the program with uh, some book recommendations. Do you have a book or two that have made a impact on your life or your work? I think there's many different books and I, my, my wife often makes fun of me because when I read a book, I suddenly become really you know, intense about the subject of that. Um, if I, I think, I, if I, let's take a manufacturing book where Maids you have know, got its, its roots. I think that's quite good. There's a, a, um, a Harvard professor called Willie Shee. Uh, he's helped us a lot. And, and his book uh, has been uh, very much the foundation, which is basically bringing manufacturing back to America. Um, and, the, and he wrote it with uh, another author, uh, Gary Pisano, uh, and it's all about producing prosperity. And it talks a lot about this um, industrial commons and the need to invest in, in manufacturing. And that tells the American story. And it's fascinating. And it really underlines this kind of ecosystem thinking and what's happened historically with manufacturing and how it's actually been this sort of you know, foundation. Mm -hmm. So that one for me was a really good starting point when I came into MADE and, and I've got a lot of the thoughts in place. Um, I read all sorts of stuff. So so the, some of the other stuff I, I really uh, like is, is some of my heroes or some of the really big um, stories about engineering. So uh, Isambard Brunel is my absolute hero. He's a, a real British engineer who uh, you know, made the first steamships, metal-based steamships. He created the whole railway system in the, in the West Coast within the UK. And he did all of this, uh, I think, by the age of like 35. And he was like this multi-engineer. So that's, a, that's a, an interesting story. Guy, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, it, it puts stuff into perspective when you look at that, what they did back then and how, how these projects were often run by these like really creative uh, uh, engineers. Um, and if you're into engineering, the other big story to read is the whole, the whole Brooklyn Bridge uh, story, which is amazing when they, and then the scale of the project and what came out of that and the understanding of the bends on people's, uh, you know, when you're diving under pressure and digging foundations, really nerdy stuff. Um, 
some of the stuff that I'm reading now, now that's also quite inspirational is is the sci-fi. I love also sci-fi and and, and stuff. And there's actually a, a quite an unusual Chinese author um, who's who's made a whole uh, series about the three body problem. Uh, and it's unusual to have a a, a world leading Chinese author within fantasy because it's not something they normally do. And then the technologies and the way he describes the future is amazing. Uh, and it really puts some things into perspective about society, uh, about technology and how these things all you know, work together. So Interesting. what's the book and who's the author? Well, the, the author there is a guy called, uh, I'll try and pronounce it correctly, uh, Si Liu. Uh, and it's the three body. That sounds, that sounds about body. right. Yeah. My uh, manner. So he's 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 an interesting guy, and he's done some stuff that about really reflective stuff about uh, sustainability. Where there's another book uh, about ants and dinosaurs, and you think it's a kids' book, but he's actually talking about how societies need to work together to solve problems, otherwise they both go extinct. Sounds a little and, George and Orwellian, very yeah. George yeah. Orwellian, but really yeah. worth reading. Yeah. Um, so there's th- three different types and very different genres. Great, Nigel. Uh, Edmondson, the director of MADE, the Manufacturing Academy of Denmark. You're a guy who's truly on the cutting edge, uh, not only here in Denmark, but in the world. It's been great having you here. And thank you for opening our eyes to the importance of manufacturing and the future of manufacturing. Well, thanks for having me and listening about you know, my passion, which is manufacturing. Really pleasure, Nigel. And anywhere our audience can uh, find you or your organization? Well, we are on uh, you know, www.made.dk, or the Manufacturing Academy of Denmark. You can always find me there or on LinkedIn. 